Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What can we learn from children? I'm Sean Illing, and I'm your host for Vox Conversations. I became a parent almost three years ago, and I can't quite describe all the ways it has changed my life. There are good days and bad days. There are moments of sublime joy, and there are moments of total exasperation. But like many things in life, the way we think about parenting goes a long way in shaping the experience itself. Having the right attitude, the right orientation, is often the difference between satisfaction and frustration. A few months ago, a book called Parent as Mystic, Mystic as Parent, was dropped into my lap out of nowhere. I had never heard of it before, but it came highly recommended. The author is David Spangler, a new agey thinker who sort of wrote the book as a side project back in 1998. And to be honest, I was a little skeptical at first, but I decided to give it a try anyway. And it ended up being exactly the thing I needed to read at exactly the right time. It's not preachy or high-minded, and it's definitely not a how-to manual for parents. In some ways, it's less about parenting and more about how to live a grounded life. And parenting is just a vessel for that deeper lesson. So I reached out to Spangler to talk about the book, what he wanted to say in it, and how his ideas have evolved all these years later. This is a conversation about parenting, yeah, but it's not just for parents. It's about being more present in your life, whether you have kids or not. And it's also about the wisdom of children, about what we can learn from them and what we often forget as we grow older. David Spangler, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. This idea of parenthood as a kind of spirituality was so interesting to me. And, you know, I'll just say, like a turnoff for me when it comes to this whole, I guess we'll call it the kind of new age world, 
a big turnoff for me was always that so much of it seemed obsessed with self-realization and self-fulfillment. And that is so clearly at odds with parenthood. Yes. You know, I think of parenthood in so many ways as the just complete sacrifice of the self. Were you conscious of this tension when you decided to write this book? Oh, yes, uh, very much. So as you're implying, I was involved with the New Age movement for many years. But that was one of the characteristics of it that I was uncomfortable with as well, because my whole orientation in my spirituality is, I mean, certainly there's an element of self-development and honoring the sacredness of the self, but we're all part of uh, the world. And spirituality for me is the art of connection and being part of the world. So parenting for me was perhaps the most spiritual thing that that I could be engaged with, actually. It brought home all of the lessons that one might normally associate with the mystical path (laughs) and put them into a very down-to-earth form. Well, what is it about parenting, you know, the everyday act of caring for a child? What is it about that that opens up space for you for a more spiritually enriching life? Because, you know, I think... Being a parent, you know this, I'm a parent, I have a two and a half year old at home right now, and I'm sure this will come up a few times over the course of this conversation, but you know, (laughs) being a parent, especially of a toddler, is a hard, tedious, repetitive, often thankless task. And it doesn't feel at all spiritual (laughs) in the moment. Um, But perhaps it's because we're not really paying attention or we're paying attention to the wrong things. I I, I don't know, you you tell me. Well. One of the things that parenting demands, just as you said, is the surrender of the self to the other, to someone other. And it's not a giving up of control. It's not saying, I surrender my sovereignty and you're now going to dominate me. It's not a submission, but it's surrender on behalf of the well-being of the other, that you're putting your life in service to what will help this other thrive. And for me, that's what spirituality is about. If I think of the whole world as the other, that the world is filled with life, then the spiritual path asks for me to discover how in my life I can help the life of the world around me thrive. So that would be the life of others, other people, the the environment, and so on. In parenting, that becomes very concrete and specific because the child has obvious needs, and (laughs) especially when they're two and a half, they're not shy about making them known. (laughs) And you have to step past the boundary of your own self and embrace the reality of this other and discover in yourself the resources you have to be of service. And to me, that's a very spiritual experience. And is that the, maybe this is the wrong word, but is that the essence of your spirituality, this idea that we ought to transcend our own self and kind of connect with something beyond ourselves or some larger whole or with like the whole of creation or whatever language you would prefer to use there? You know, I would put that this way, that we're part of what I think of as a sacred ecology. And the thing about an ecology, any ecosystem, is that all of its parts 
are necessary to all the other parts. I mean, you're working with a whole that all the parts are interconnected. So it's not like my self, my personal self becomes less important. Obviously, there can be situations where I genuinely have to surrender myself, maybe even my life, for the good of someone else or something else. But uh, I'm not thinking of those extremes. I'm just thinking that my well-being enables me to contribute to your well-being and vice versa. And so we need each other. One thing I discovered as a parent is however much my kids needed me, especially when they were very young, they were always contributing to me too. I really had to go beyond the mindset that was more hierarchical and said, well, I'm the boss here. I'm the, I'm the one who knows what life is about because I have all the experience and you're just uh, this little kid. But that little kid is a fully functioning organism. We have a a one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter now. So when she comes over, I watch her uh, learning about her world with great delight. And I'm just in the presence of somebody who's totally open to discovery and to learning how to connect with her world and taking joy in that. And that's the frame of mind that all of us could enjoy, you know, whether I call it beginner's mind or whatever name I have for it. But my granddaughter comes by it naturally, as does your two-and-a-half-year-old. There's a two-way street here of learning and growth, and my spirituality is oriented around how to broaden and enhance and honor that two-way street that we have with the rest of the world. I'm so glad you you went there. I, I, it's something I wanted to bring up anyway. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was this theme, this idea that we tend to think of the kind of parent-child dynamic as very you know one way or top-down or hierarchical. But there's another way to think of it. You know, in a lot of ways, children are our teachers. You might even say that they're our medicine in some kinds of ways. And and one of the things about children that uh, you don't even have to be a parent to know this is this habit or this instinct they have of just delighting in the world and seeing everything with fresh clear new exciting eyes you know they, they have by nature what you call the beginner's mind why do you find such wisdom in this instinct of children right this instinct to see everything with completely fresh and novel eyes all of the time. Why is that a, a model for you know adults? Our perception of the world gets filtered. Yeah. And as we get older, it get more and more filters. And so the most common filters are the ones that we say, oh, I know that. Uh, that's familiar to me. I've, I've seen that a uh, hundred times. You know, I look out my window here and I see my neighbor's house across the street and I've seen that same house now for 30-some years. <laughs> but the moment I say, gee, I, you know, I know that house. It has nothing more to offer me. Then a filter comes down. And, and who knows what could be going on there that would be instructive or interesting. And children don't have those filters. The idea of beginner's mind is essentially that you don't have that kind of filtering going on where you diminish your awareness of your world. And and when we diminish that awareness, we diminish our capacity to participate. 
I, I love that. You know, like that's one of the great gifts of childhood. It's this, um, to use your words, this freedom from the tyranny of the familiar. Yes. And this is something that happens to all of us as we get older. You know, we get weighed down by routine. Life becomes flavorless and predictable. But it's not because the world has become any less interesting or any more boring. It's because we lose the ability to see it anew. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, children are so much wiser than us in this respect. <laughs> well, there's different kinds of wisdom, aren't there? I mean, we have wisdom that our children do not, mm. that's born of experience. So we have ways of seeing the world that can be very productive based on our experience, but they have ways of seeing the world that are productive based on not having experience, and therefore seeing the world without precondition or preconception. And it's really the blend of those two together can be very powerful, very fruitful. Well, I guess that's the question, right? You know, <laughs> where's the happy medium there? How do we live in that tension, you know, kind of balancing? Obviously, there's lots of wisdom to having experienced a lot in the world, but there's also lots of wisdom to waking up every day and seeing things with fresh eyes. You know, what's the proper balance there? How can we kind of dip our toes in both of those wisdoms? Well, I believe, Sean, it starts with love and with respect, and then we build on that. So let me give you an example with my oldest son, Johnny. Johnny had what, had he been in a normal school, would have been diagnosed as learning disabilities. You wouldn't know it now to see him or know him. He's a counselor of kids and young adults who are on the autistic spectrum. But when he was younger, he had a very hard time with language. So we paired up with a really wonderful, wonderful teacher, and with him and a number of other parents, created an alternative school, which is still going today. It was a school that allowed the kids to help shape their own curriculum based on where their interests were. So at one time, Johnny came to me and he said, well, Dad, for this next semester, I'm not going to take any math. <laughs> and uh, this was a little bit of a blow for me because I had come out of a very academic and scientific background, and somehow I can't imagine somebody going through school without learning math. <laughs> but what it was is I trusted Johnny. I mean, I could say, well, you're going to be missing out on something that's important. That's what my experience would tell me. But I trusted him so I said, okay, go ahead. And I trusted his teacher as well. You don't have to take math. He had to have my approval for this. So he went through the whole semester never taking math, and he was quite happy about that. But he became interested in scuba diving and developed a passion for it. And he discovered that he had to have math in order to be able to work the instruments and calculate how much oxygen he had in his tank and all that. Right. And suddenly he became really passionate about learning math <laughs> and learned a lot of it very quickly. For me, this was an example of what is this soul? What is this individuality that's here in my child? What is it trying to say? What's it trying to become? And how can I foster that? And am I willing to let go of some of my preconceptions in order to create space for Johnny to experiment? So I think there's this constant conversation. You know, there's no 
single happy medium. It's not like a negotiation where you get 50% of the territory and I get 50% of the territory, but it's a constant dance back and forth in which you're learning about each other. And that's part of the challenge of a parent is to know when to listen and give space for the child and his or her uniqueness and when to say, no, here's a boundary I need to set because my wisdom and my greater experience tells me this is when I should say no or yes or whatever. And that's a hard thing to do in practice. (laughs) Kind of going back to this sense of the beginner's mind, you know, you recount a lot of memories, stories in the book about these missed opportunities for wonderment. You know, I remember there's a story in the book about your daughter who I guess... Yeah, like Katie with the bike. Katie with the bike. She didn't, wasn't really into riding a bike at first. And then one day she kind of came to you and said, Daddy, let's go on a bike ride. And you turned her down for whatever reason. And it yeah, made right. me think of, of all these moments where my son, Julian, asked me to do some, you know, silly little thing, whether it's, you know, Play-Doh or Legos or going outside to inspect the palm trees, whatever it is. And I just said no for some stupid reason, you know, probably to, to just keep scrolling on my Twitter or whatever. Sure. But there was a chance there to share in that that joy, in that wonder, in that zest for life. And I just passed it by. And I don't know how many of those I'm going to get, you know. I mean, that's a wonderful example, Sean. And it says that you had that experience just like I did with Katie. And so the next time that that happened, you can say, oh, I didn't catch this the first time around, but here's another opportunity. And we do get more than one opportunity, uh, especially when they're younger. And so I've learned something. And parenting is a constant advanced studies course. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody ever said it would be easy, you know. And it's it's challenging. It, it uh, life is challenging, but when we bring our love and an awareness of the moment of what's really happening here, what am I listening to? What is important? What is it I want to create in this moment? Those are wonderful attitudinal tools to help us make the best of that moment and not miss opportunities. But we will miss opportunities. It's just kind of baked in that that's going to happen. We will, you know, and you write early in the book that a mystic does not say here is where spirituality begins and the mundane ends. And I really like that because the challenge isn't to find the sacred out there. The the challenge is to be still enough to see the sacred in every little moment of life because every moment you don't see it, that is a choice whether you recognize it as such or not. And being a parent has concretized that idea for me in a way nothing else ever could. I don't know if your experience is is similar. Oh, well, that's fantastic, Sean. I totally agree. In some ways, we become prisoners of words like spirituality and mystic and ordinary and everyday. And a lot of my work over the years has been to try to help people recognize that the reality of the experience transcends those words that we set up these situations where we say, oh, that's my mystical side, or that's my spiritual side. Now I'm meditating, and now I'm tuning into some other level of consciousness or something. But over here, I'm playing with my children, and it doesn't look like meditating, but I'm definitely, if I'm doing it well, tuning into another level of consciousness. (laughs) 
You know, one of my favorite chapters in the book, one that was most fun for me to write, was the one called Aliens. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's the one where I, I say, you know, we've already been invaded by aliens that want our women, and we've succumbed to their mind control, <laughs> and we call them children. But even though it was, it's a fun way to look at it, it's very serious that our kids, they're operating out of a different level of awareness and consciousness than we are as adults, and we forget that. I think we genuinely forget how aware and cognitively powerful a child's mind is mm. as it's grappling with the world, but it's not processing that information yet in the way that an adult does. So, you know, we talk about learning to communicate with dolphins. <laughs> learning to communicate with a two-year-old is can be just as much an adventure into an alternate way of seeing the world. <laughs> so if I'm meditating to try to tune to some other level of consciousness, that's wonderful. But if I'm trying to communicate with my two-year-old and we're trying to build a rapport together in the moment, in a way I'm doing the same thing, you know, still reaching out to a consciousness different from my own. Yeah. That's when you say to spirit, don't bother me right now. I'm communing with my kid. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, how do we balance the responsibilities of parenting and somehow also enjoy the time we have with our kids? Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, 
for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The other thing here is if you're a parent, you are always, and I mean always, modeling in every moment, no matter how big or small, you know, every decision to overreact, every decision to be guided by anger or negative emotion, every decision to not see the joy in something or to not just be present to what's right in front of us. A child sees that and internalizes it. And that is a crushing responsibility if you're super conscious of it, uh, if you're a parent. You know, it's like in some ways, parents, when they do those things, are kind of helping their children to unlearn the very instincts that make them so joyous and, and wise in the first place. You know, I think that parenting is a profound responsibility, and it demands a lot of us. There's no question about that. At the same time, we can burden ourselves with expectations of our performance that make it much harder than it needs to be. I think if we say, okay, I'm going to do the very best I can, I'm going to be as aware as I can be, and I'm going to make mistakes, and my child is going to make mistakes, so we're going to learn how to navigate these mistakes together, and hopefully they won't be harmful or toxic mistakes. I mean, we're not talking here about a parent who's you know, going off the rails and becoming abusive. We're just saying, yes, what you said, that we are the models for our children, but we're not the only models. And if we look back at the end of the day and we say, gee, I could have modeled that better. I didn't have to get angry at that moment, or, or I could have been more responsive, then that's a good insight. Uh, we're modeling for ourselves as well. The problem comes when we say, oh, that's just who I am, or I, I won't do that next time, but we forget, and we fall back into these habits. So I want to say, oh, yes, that lesson was important to me, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm not going to feel that I failed as a parent because I, I wasn't modeling everything I wanted to model at that moment, but I'm going to recognize I have the power to change the model. <laughs> Do you think we put too much pressure on ourselves as parents? I mean, this may be a ridiculous question, but I, I, maybe I'm actually asking if you think maybe we take being a parent too seriously. And by that, I mean, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves that we forget to just, I don't know, laugh, <laughs> just be. Oh, I think, I think that's true. You know, uh, and then we get hard on ourselves and that creates its own spiral of, you know, unhelpful emotions. I do believe that's true, Son. And it's kind of a spectrum, isn't it? I mean, there are times when we really want to be very conscious and aware and dedicated to our parenting, and other times when we should wear it more lightly for the children's benefit, too, because every organism needs room to expand and, and grow. You know, I think of a parent that is trying so hard to be a good parent and ends up, you know, overscheduling the child or overbearing or overprotective or trying to manage the child's life in order to prove that they're a good parent, and it ends up stifling a lot. So we want to accept a certain element of risk here. 
You know, I, I look back to my childhood. I grew up on an Air Force base in North Africa. My dad was in the service, and my mom, she was a civilian nurse, but working for the military hospital. And so they were both away. I was truly a latchkey kid. <laughs> but we lived on this air base, which was a very protected environment. So I roamed all the civilian part of the base. It was a great deal of freedom. And I would get into trouble here and there and now and then. And I didn't have my parents on top of me all the time. But when we were together, it was an extremely loving family. I never felt abandoned or felt alone. I always felt totally embraced by them. But there definitely was space for me to be myself because they had to work. The relationship between child and parent, it just felt more natural. <laughs> of course, I mean, here I am, 77, and I'm looking back, and I think of what parents have to contend with today, which we didn't back in the 40s and 50s. But yes, I do think modern parents at times do try too hard and put pressure on themselves they don't need to do. I think that's right. It is hard, and it is. there's no blueprint. And it's kind of unmanageable, really. And the more you try to manage it, the more you bump up against the unmanageability of the situation. And that's kind of what makes it so difficult. You know, I mean, I, you realize pretty quickly that, or at least I realized pretty quickly that being a parent tests who I think I am every damn day. And a lot of days, I don't like the results as hard as I try to be, you know, kind of calm and mindful person. I'm constantly losing my shit. You know, I'm constantly getting overwhelmed and frustrated and my whole sense of self just kind of implodes. And I realize I'm actually not in control of myself or my emotions in the way I thought. I don't know. There's an old Ram Das quote. <laughs> he said something like, yeah, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it, right? The point is that like we have this sense of self and we think we know who we are. And then you you get thrust into this situation, this environment that you can't really control and the reality doesn't meet your expectations, and then you respond in ways that lead to a lot of self-judgment and self-criticism, and it's, it's just, it's not helpful. But I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. So here's the deal, to quote our president. I'm a little adverse to books that tell us what we should be doing <laughs> and how to do it. I recognize that they can have good advice. And my wife, Julie, who's a parent education instructor, there are texts that she uses. But I thought, I don't have advice as such. I don't have a techniques to offer to parents to say, this is going to make you the perfect parent. If you do this, it'll all work out well. <laughs> but what I can do is tell stories. I can share my experience as a parent, both where I've done well and where I haven't done well. And to me, that's very powerful. Um, you're sharing your stories and experiences. And I think that's one of the most powerful things we can do as parents because we support each other and we learn from each other. And we recognize the challenge that exists in parenting. It's, it's just not an easy thing. You know, as I mentioned at the very front of the book, my original design was for Julie and I to write this book together. And that didn't work out. But Julie, she's fantastic as a parent, and she brought an innate wisdom to the process that I often did not have. And vice versa, we both offered strengths. And the important thing was that 
we could parent together. I know that's not always possible for many families nowadays, but where it's possible, it's very helpful to know you're not in it by yourself. You know, if you have a good partner, you're compensating for each other. And this is an odd way to put it, I think, but you enlist your child as an ally in the process. I don't mean by that that you ask the child to parent themselves, but like I said earlier, they have insights too. They'll let you know what they need, and they can be very, very forgiving unless you push them past a certain toxic boundary where you've become abusive. But I could get angry at that one time I wrote about when I just... I just totally lost it. And I'm not normally a very angry person. In fact, I'm not an angry person at all. But that time, I <laughs> just kind of fell into this berserk rage. Because <laughs> Katie had just pushed too many of my buttons that morning. Is this a story where, you know, you were trying to get her dressed? and That's just exactly th- right. Th- and threw the shoe at your face or, or right. something like well, that? Well, the more I tried to get her dressed, yeah. the more she kept undressing. Because <laughs> we had to go out yeah. and meet Julia and our and her two brothers, and we were running behind, and I just couldn't get her to keep her clothes on. <laughs> and she was having fun. She thought it was a game, but I just lost it. You know, In that moment, I could understand how some parents lose it, but I knew I couldn't do that. How do you snap out of that? Well, I have these moments all the time. Hell, I, I, I had one this morning trying to get my son to <laughs> out of the door yeah. to daycare. You know, he wanted to wear his blue socks, not the white socks. And it was a huge <laughs> freaking thing. And, you know, he just went ballistic over it. And I, I had to walk away because I was about to, you know, drop kick him out the <laughs> window. And I just had to go cool off. You know, it's <laughs> knowing and doing are very different things. And we have these ideas of how we should behave in those moments. And then in the actual moment, you get overwhelmed by these emotions that carry you away and you completely lose your cool. Yes, that's exactly right. How do you respond to that? Well, I think you said you walked away. That was a very good thing to do. You put some space and distance. That's In effect, that's what I did. I didn't do it physically. I did it mentally, that I just had to pull back from the situation and realize that whatever I was feeling I could not translate it into doing harm to my daughter. But I had all that energy, and I had to let go of it. And so I started kicking things. Unfortunately, my aim wasn't very good. Didn't you break your foot or, or something like that? I did. I broke my, I broke my toe because I uh. was aiming for a soft pillow and hit a hard footstool. And, of course, the pain immediately snapped me out of it. And Caitlin, at that point, snapped out of it, too, because she realized then that it had seeds being a game that wasn't fun anymore, and Dad had hurt himself, and she became immediately solicitous and, of course, got dressed right away because she knew her life was in danger. <laughs> but isn't that sort of the point, right, where this is where our, our desire as parents for routine and order bumps up against the kind of chaos of children? I know you, you tell a story in the book about, you, I guess you're sitting down to eat dinner, and, and you know your kids just kind of start howling like animals and your first impulse was to scold them and say no 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 that's not appropriate yada 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 but then you just started howling too and then your wife started howling and it was great fun and there's a lesson there a lesson that children are are constantly teaching us about spontaneity you know about not doing something the same way every time over and over again it's the wisdom of the trickster as you put it in the book right it's about not surrendering to the tyranny of, of habit which is something we all surrender to the older we get and the more locked in to our our lives and our routines we become. And then that's when life 
loses its freshness and we become less present and less joyous. And that bleeds into every domain of our lives, including as parents. So let's talk a moment about the relationship between the mystic and the parent here. And I think that's what this touches on for me. In a way, we live in two different times. We live in short time and long time, just to coin a phrase. So part of each of us lives very much in relationship to what's happening in the moment. But we also live, one of the characteristics we have as an adult is we can see through time. We know what the long view is because we have both memory and we have the ability to imagine into the future. And for a person who's pursuing a mystical side of their life, they recognize that there's this larger self that is much bigger than any one moment. Its life extends really on into infinity. And part of a spiritual practice is to tune into that and to recognize that there's part of you that's living in eternity, so to speak. And I don't have quite the right word for it, but you're living in this long time in which what happens in the moment doesn't affect that long time self. But children live in short time, especially very young children. They don't have the memory on which to draw experience. They don't have the imagination of the future. So they don't think in terms of consequences. So in that moment when I got angry, I was angry in my short time self. I was angry in that moment because of what was happening. But my big time self, my long time self, what I would call my soul self or my spiritual self, it knew how insignificant this was, that this was not a big deal. So, okay, we're late meeting Julie and the the other kids. To this larger self, this is not a big deal. (laughs) To my little self, to that short-term self, it is a big deal because I'm caught into that moment. So part of the balance for me between mysticism and parenting is to make sure that my parent self, which so often gets involved in these short-term events, is always linked to or aware of or attuned to this longer-term self, this long-wave self. That's an interesting way to put it. You know, I, Maybe the way I would put it is that the thing that small children lack is self-consciousness. And self-consciousness can be a kind of curse. You know, children are just, they just are. They're just in the moment. They're not worried about how they appear. They're not worried about their status. And they're not worried, as you say, about the future. You know, and there's real wisdom in that. But then at the same time, as we were saying earlier, you actually have to worry about the future. You know, rent still has to be paid. You Mm -hmm. can't just be as children all the time. And so the question is, like, how do you kind of combine the best of both worlds? And something about being a parent and having a child is maybe an anchor into that other way of being that you can incorporate into your life and learn from and integrate as much as you can. But also you have to do what the child can't, which is keep an eye towards the future and and keep the lights on and, and the air conditioner running and all of that stuff. But if you become too wrapped up in that, if you're constantly thinking about the future or if you're constantly worrying about the past, you miss your life, which is fundamentally just a succession of moments. And it's very hard to do to be in the moment, but also you know be responsible for all the things you have to be responsible for in the world we live in. But no one said it was going to be easy, but that's the goal, I suppose. Yes. 
And in one way or another, we all have to navigate that. But of course, parents are navigating it in special ways and in in very important ways. It's not an either-or thing. It's not, well, I need to be like my child or I need to be my adult self. It's how, what is that part of me that's large enough to encompass and embrace both and to be both? So I'm not surrendering any of my adult responsibilities, but at the same time, I'm giving myself the, the gift of being open to those moments. We're going to take one last short break, but when we come back, have David's ideas about parenting changed over the last two decades? Would he do anything differently now? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You wrote this book, like, what, 24 years ago? If there was one thing you would add to the book that you couldn't have added then, what would it be? I think we've touched on some of that, Sean. One is to have greater faith in ourselves as parents. I read the book last night, knowing we were having this interview, and I had a lot of fun doing it. It brought back a lot of memories. And I, but I realized that the David that wrote the book was right in the middle of, of all of this parenting drama. And I'm not at the moment. My kids are all grown and off in the world and starting to have kids of their own. And I realized that some of the pressures that I was feeling then to make sure that you know, I want things to work out well for them, I want them to thrive in their lives, that's what they did. And they did it in part because of Julie and me, but in part because of themselves. So I didn't have to worry as much as I did. <laughs> but I think worry kind of goes with the territory when you're a parent. <laughs> but I suppose if I were writing the book now, I, I probably would include a chapter that said, being a parent is the most important job in the world, and you do it best when you can relax into it. <laughs> yeah. And realize that you're going to screw up. Yeah, that's right. Probably multiple times every day, and that's okay, because so has everyone else forever. That's just what it is. It is what it is. 
and we constantly take these broken pieces and make something better out of them. Mm. I had to laugh. I was reading in the book that Johnny's passion was to become a commercial pilot. His grandfather was a pilot for Pan Am, and his uncle was a pilot. But he ended up becoming a counselor. He got his master's degree in counseling, and he teaches at one of the local universities here. So all their lives went in different directions than I thought they were going. The trajectories went differently than I thought they might when I wrote the book. So I think, again, if I were writing the book now, I would have this chapter that said, do your best and relax and have fun while you're doing it. (laughs) Well, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you could give one bit of advice to parents who are still in the thick of it, like I am, what would it be? It would be to love every moment of it, even the the hard moments, because Mm. they will pass very quickly. And the one thing that you communicate to your child more than anything else is that love. When that's there, that's what they remember. I love that. You know, something you wrote near the end of the book that lingered with me for a little bit was, you said, quote, creating a loving family in which a child can know safety, support, empowerment, and love is surely one of the most profound acts of service that any human being can provide. I guess I couldn't agree any more with that. And beyond even that, I would say that being a parent is also a great gift because it is, I don't know if it's the most, but it's certainly a reliable bridge to the thing I think we all most need and that is self-obliterating love. And I don't mean we shouldn't care about ourselves and we shouldn't care about our own well-being and all those sorts of things. I just mean there is something sublime about transcending yourself through love for another creature or another human being, whether that's your child or your partner or whatever. And uh, I don't know, I guess I'll just say thank you for this book because it, it was a reminder of that. It was a reminder that my own struggles and stumbles are old and understandable and common but also a reminder that this whole messy thing is kind of beautiful and miraculous and worth it in the end. So, so thank you. It's definitely worth it. You know, Sean, the fact that you are questioning and wondering about being a good parent says to me, you're a terrific parent. It's when we no longer question and think we've got it all right. That's when I think we need to worry. (laughs) I appreciate that. I'm doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Some days are are better than others. But again, that's the story of every parent everywhere forever. So if you are a parent, hang in there. (laughs) Nothing lasts. (laughs) I cannot repeat that enough. The highs, the lows, nothing lasts for very long. It will pass. And if you let yourself get dragged down by something that's happening in the moment, you will quickly realize how silly it was to have wasted all that time and energy worrying about it when it was always going to pass. So don't do that. And if you're not a parent, hopefully there's a bit of a wisdom in this that is applicable in your life. I could not have said it better. David Spangler, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, my friend. I appreciated our time together. It's been fun. Vox Conversations is produced by Eric Janikis. Our editor is Amy Drostowska. Paul Robert Mouncey mixed and mastered this episode. Our theme music was dreamed up by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. 
And Amber Hall is the Deputy Editorial Director of Vox Talk. If you like the show, let us know. Room for improvement? We want to hear that too. We're curious to know what you think, what you want more of, and what we could improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, send us your thoughts at voxconversations at vox.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends and please rate and review. And join us on Thursday for a brand new episode of Vox Conversations. 